everybody. Welcome back to the Phil Crass Survival Podcast. It's your host, Mike. And today, our first sponsor is TriarchSystems.com. Hey, if you're looking for a custom pistol or custom carbine, make sure you check out Triarch Systems. Triarch Systems is coming from the good old state of Texas, and Triarch Systems makes custom rifles that are built for utility, first and foremost, which is obviously important when you're talking about guns you use in self-defense. I run personally their 17 Charlie. It's a custom gun that looks great, but also has the form and function, as well as their Glock 43. We've ran their 1911. I could say nothing but good things about TriarchSystems.com. Make sure you use the coupon code PhilCraft, one word, on checkout to save. Also, this podcast is sponsored by TrueBrain, T-R-U-Brain.com. TrueBrain, look, we just started trying out TrueBrain's nootropics. Uh, The proof's in the pudding. I use it every single time I wake up prior to any engagement, whether that's a speaking seminar, um, whether that's a um, business meeting, or I'm on the flat range. Nootropics from True Brain are truly a game changer in cognitive function and performance. I also use the ketone ester. Look, it doesn't matter if you're on uh, the keto diet or not. You could be anti-keto, eat gummy bears for a living, and you could still benefit from the ketone ester because what it does is it amplifies the cognitive function of your brain. It's basically food for the brain. And TrueBrain.com has the ketone ester in stock. I use it every morning in my coffee. It's got stevia, which is the uh, natural sweetener, as well as, that's stevia, right? Not sativa, it's stevia. I always confuse that with weed for some reason. Hey, make sure you check those guys out. Also, I'll give another plug to Uncana. I love Uncana. I use their CBD oil. Look, it doesn't have THC. It's not illegal in, in most places. Make sure you check your state and local laws before you use CBD oil. There are actually are some law enforcement agencies that if you use it more than six times, that can go against you during the hiring process. And I don't want to see anybody fail. But CBD is a good natural alternative to a whole bunch of things, uh, including ailments, uh, helping with injury, helping with sleep and anxiety. I definitely use the CBD oil um, from Uncana.com. That's uh, two ends in Uncana. Uh, also, this podcast is sponsored by 511. Today, 5.11, we actually had a meeting at 5.11, which I'll get into a second, but they offered the coupon code because I asked. I always want to make sure we hook up the customers and clients that are so loyal to PhilCraftSurrival.com, and thank you. Um, the coupon code is RECON10. RECON10 will save you 10% for the next week. I got a week out of them. Make sure you use RECON10 on checkout online, in stores. They have 50 retail stores across the United States. Great opportunities, great equipment. And today we had the privilege to catch up with Francisco Morales, the original partner, one of the original partners for 511 Tactical, and now the chief executive officer. He shared his insight in business, the the mission, and the story of 511 Tactical, which is an interesting one. Also, we got to catch up with Brendan Wren, who's the category product manager for footwear, and Scott Lambert, the senior industrial designer, load bearing and protection. Hey, the bottom line is 5.11 opened their doors to us. Uh, we are truly inquisitive about the design process, their processes, and sticking to their mission set, which is providing tactical equipment for law enforcement, uh, public safety, as well as the military. And now um, also available to all is the great equipment that comes from 5.11. Make sure you use that coupon code I just gave you. It's recontent if in case you forgot. And let's kick off the po- podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this. We caught up with them at their headquarters in Irvine, California at HQ and had a good conversation. So here we go. 
Francisco, Brendan, and Scott, thanks for joining me, guys, on the podcast. Thank, thank you for having us. Yeah, this is awesome. I, if you guys uh, have been tracking what we've been doing on social media, we actually are at 511 headquarters, HQ in Irvine, California. We got up at like 4 this morning. George got up at like 3 this morning because he didn't understand the timeline. Um, but we drove out this morning and went straight into 511 headquarters, and I appreciate you guys hosting us because it's a, a unique opportunity to tell a story um, that's very intimate in my life because I grew up in special operations, and obviously uh, you guys' business was an intimate part of that uh, career for it. So thank you again. Um, you know, let's. I want to start off with the uh, uh, the guys, Scott and Brennan. You guys are an integral um, part to the success of 511 Story. And, you know, just, just quickly, if you guys could tell, uh, you know, who you are and what your position is and kind of what you do for 511. Starting out with Scott, go ahead. So uh, I work on the load-bearing and nylon team, which means that I have a um, part in the design and development of all of our bags, kit, um, luggage, and accessories. So that involves, obviously, starting with the end user, understanding what kinds of needs they have for um, equipment in the field, how they need to carry it, and how it's evolving. Um, and then we try to craft together those products that will help and uh, exceed in, in what the functions that they need are. Awesome, awesome. Brendan? Yeah, my name's Brendan Rand. I'm the category manager for footwear. So I work with the design team and our development team, and we talk about you know problem solving. You know, Kind of we look at what's going on in the market, uh, where we think we need to go, places where we can improve on uh, and then we work on kind of a concept together and then uh, I work with development and design uh, how do they design it and how do we get the price we need and and where do we end up developing it so uh, that's and that's what I've been doing here for about seven oh, this is gonna be seven years seven years next month wow. Wow, that's pretty crazy awesome in this shop because I, I actually uh, went to you guys's retail shop and they kind of had a corporate feel to it in Modesto California you guys just recently, well, not recently, over the last six, seven years, have moved here to Irvine, correct? Correct. correct. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Um, so let's let's get to the CEO, Francisco Morales. Um, you know, reading your story is is pretty cool. You know, number one, as a martial arts practitioner, is the judo thing true? Did you ever do any kind of judo? Never. <laughs> I knew it. Somebody told me that you never did. No. And, and on the Wikipedia website, which is a testament to Wikipedia. I feel like somebody set you up because somebody's like, no, I don't think he did. No, I'm the ultimate desk jockey. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, so so 511 has a pretty cool story starting out with 511, you know, 511 um, denoting one of the most difficult routes that you could attain in a, in a mountain climbing situation. Uh, Francisco, tell us a little bit about the beginning, the origins of 511, how you guys uh, started out from the beginning. Yeah, you know, so, so I think we were very fortunate. Um, so really, the story backs to 1968. A couple sets up a company uh, to make clothing that would serve them when doing outdoors. Um, most of these outdoors activities were being done in Yosemite, and the couple is, you know, Royal Robbins, uh, mm -hmm. rest in peace, and, and his wife. Uh, you know, at the time, there was no such a thing as functional clothing. Uh, when I look at pictures from the day, uh, they were doing things like taking Levi's, uh, taking the back pockets off and re-sewing it. Yeah, patching it up. Patching it yeah, at an yeah. angle. Uh, so they just started making, you know, functional stuff. Like, there was no such a thing as the outdoor industry. Uh, you know, when I talk to the old-timers, they go like, yeah, you know, we started making gear. We will go to the ski show. You know, there was, a, there was a ski show, but there was not an outdoor show. 
So, you know, fast forward, uh, the Robins created a pen that they called the 511 pen. Uh, and at that time, uh, the, the climb was defined like something impossible to do, but under uh, close observation, one could achieve it. Uh, and I believe at the time, Royal had not achieved a 511. So it, it was kind of a tongue in cheek uh, name for the pen, but it was a climbing pen. And when you look at the pen, uh, even today, you see how it was driven from pure function. Uh, the pen uh, eventually evolved uh, as the FBI adopted it as their formal training pen. So, you know, think about people in Quantico. Uh, you have the FBI training academy. They're next to the Marines. They're like, you know, we should look a little bit different. Uh, they run into this pen uh, and they started wearing it uh, on the training on the training side. So the trainers were at wearing the academy at the academy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the trainers were wearing the pen as as the as the training pen, and then they they rolled the pen to the students. And then you know, in the FBI academy, people from all over the world get trained. So when you came in, they gave exposure. You, yeah, right. yeah, they gave you two pair of pens, and you went home. And people, the pens are different looking than your normal pair of pens. These are these infamous uh, khaki pants. Yeah, right? those yeah, okay. those those khaki pants. So so the pants stay there for a while. Uh, so fast forward to the early two thousand, uh, we started. You know. Dan Costa acquired Royal Robins in, in the late 90s. I, I joined in the early 2000s. Uh, but this customer, we've been selling these pens to them forever, right? Mm. Uh, this is now the pen of the FBI. Uh, and when people went back home, doesn't matter where, where you live, you went back home and people saw you with those pens and they say, hey, what are those pens? Oh, these are the FBI pens. What are those? The 511 pens. So in early 2000, we had a very strong relationship, of course, with the FBI, and they asked, hey, you know, we need um, some other products uh, to carry certain things. Uh, we like, like what? I said, well, you know, like a vest that looks like a photographer's vest, and what do you want to put in? When you look at the table, it's like, you know, all kind of tools of the trade, right? Let's leave it at that. Uh, so we designed a vest that you could put all this gear. So imagine your load-bearing vest, uh, but could also hold a weapon system, like a compact weapon system. But when somebody looked at you, you couldn't see any of that. Like that low vis, like stuff. a low yeah. low vis. But but internally, I mean, you we have a patent on it, so you can go on the internet and see oh, wow. the, and see awesome. the patent. Uh, but really, you could put a sub machine gun, like something like an MP5. Uh, you could put a lot of ammo. You could run, uh, you know, flex cough all around, and we send that on the field. So then people came back. And when I say design, I'm talking, we went there and people told us what they wanted to put into this vest. We sent a vest. They're like, nah, this is, this is good. This is bad. So we send it back again. So think about this, the initial way of 511 to work. So this loop of innovation where the end user really is the one driving the process and we're, we're more like a ghostwriter, you know, writing your story. Uh, started evolving. So they say we made a vest. We also made a shirt that you can conceal a weapon uh, and not only conceal it, but take it out fast. Uh, and these were all khaki. And you guys used to wear that downrange all the time when you weren't wearing your uniforms during, during the war. So this starts going on uh, and the products keep coming back with feedback. Oh, you know, uh, we had to bail out and the vest was so heavy that some guy lost <laughs> Because, okay, let's put some anchor points on the side so that, you know, it will be anchored to you. Uh, 
uh, and that wouldn't happen. Hey, you know, a guy got into a fight and when they grab him and they were grappling, the vest kind of turned half in this area. Okay, let's reinforce it. Uh, hey, you know, now the pens have a hole here. Okay, let's, you don't want to make the whole pen really heavy. You just want to reinforce that area. So that continuous loop of information between the user and the company kind of became the way that we do business. And that's why I think, you know, when people grab our products, and especially in those days, uh, nobody was innovating for these end users. So, but actually that's not true. People were innovating, but they were innovating around how cheap to make the stuff. So all the innovation was, all right, uh, you know, my company can make this pen cheaper than anybody else. And nobody was talking to the people that were going downrange as far as like, hey, what do you need? Uh, so I think 511 was the first company, again, by accident, uh, that started talking to the end user and creating products to satisfy or meet the unique challenges that people that do what they do uh, have downrange. That's really cool. I, I remember, I actually remember getting issued uh, 511 stuff early on in the global war on terror. And I'm assuming, you know, I, it's weird because I, I distinctly remember like an Afghan rotation in 04, 05 timeframe and then going to Iraq in 06 where, uh, you know, we, we had weapons, you know, holsters that were hanging off of our, uh, our legs, like mid thigh. We had a kit that we had to buy from Chinese manufacturers at, um, you know, uh, the Afghan airport and basically anything that would come in, we would snag it up because we didn't have a lot of options. And so f- from, I think, 05 to 06, there was this uh, immediate acceleration, like huge acceleration of all these companies coming in, um, which uh, 511 was included in that. And then it surged uh, kind of like the evolution of the tactical um, uh, industry, specifically the nylon and the equipment uh, side of it. Um, How do you think the global war on terror? I mean, I I read you guys were like two something out of 500 of the fastest growing companies, uh, I think 07 time period. Uh, how did that affect you guys' business in that time frame? And, and did you guys go from a small business, like in a shop with some sewers, and then all of a sudden accelerate through a couple of years? Was it that fast? You know, so, so think about 2003, uh, 2002, we told the FBI, hey, is it okay if we start making this stuff and selling it to other people? And they said yes. Uh, they had one request. Please make sure that you sell it at a good price, and that is quality. And the reasoning was, you know, hey, we don't make that kind of money, so we're going to pay for it ourselves. Uh, we want it to be affordable. So they were okay to help us and let us sell it, but they wanted to be affordable. Two, if the department is going to buy it or the government is going to buy it, they're not going to spend top money on it. So the reason I said that is because, so imagine this gear that is supercharged, and we start making it, and there is pimped-up demand because people have been using these tactical pens for years at the FBI, and they cannot buy them anywhere else. So now we make them available. And when we make them available for people to buy them, uh, these take off. We cannot keep this stuff in stock. And then we're deploying people overseas. Uh, you know, I remember getting phone calls in the company in the morning, and it would be like, hey, we need 300 kits and they have to be like this uh, okay sir when do you need that by like this afternoon uh there were emergencies you know people got deployed like fast uh so that from that side start taking off so think about it from the from the public safety side 
the pen becomes available, shirts become available, and more gear starts becoming available from us. We're developing really fast. Uh, we're making shoes, bags, nylon gear, all these things that were being asked by the end users to make, and they were all purposely built. I mean, we were not, it's not like designers in a room, like, hey, what should we make? This is like direct feedback, like, hey, I need a pouch that holds this and holds that, and we will make stuff based on the on the feedback. So, so the public safety public globally uh, are buying this stuff. Then the military is buying this stuff. So yeah, we went literally from uh, a warehouse with around three people to uh, one of the fastest growing company in the Inc. 500 within a few years of that. Yeah, because you guys had the, I mean, the FBI essentially did the T&E for you guys leading up to the GWAT. The GWAT kicks off and now the all the things that are durable and work are in high demand. And then you guys... I remember, I remember the conversations with uh, former teammates in special operations that were making those calls, and we were getting packages of like just pouches, mm-hmm. you know, that had unique uh, applications, you know, to carry grenades or to carry med kit, and there was nothing like that. It's just it's bizarre to me because I I'm, I come from the RBAV days in the '90s where the Ranger body armor was just a flak vest, and then you know we started evolving and quickly we evolved into what seems to be like mid GWAT uh, uh, essential equipment being available, readily available. And then it became a competitive space, right? Because right. then everybody is chomping at the bit. Everybody has um, uh, maybe a similar story. They don't have the origins of the story, but they have a similar story. And then they're grinding to get their, their equipment out there. How, what sets you guys apart in 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 the, the mid GWAT, like 07, 08, 09, when you guys were really capitalizing on growth, what got, what set you guys apart from uh, everybody else? You know, we, we always thought of ourselves as as a company creating f- functional products and looking long-term. So I, I'll give you examples. Uh, there was not enough time and money to do both. So there were opportunities to go after these juicy, beautiful contracts. And internally, we looked at that and said, you know, we would love to be in business forever. That type of business is very lucrative, but it will be gone. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I, I was on vacation and, and, and we had, which I think was one of the first casualties uh, with um, IEDs that created fire and somebody, unfortunately, you know, burned to death. Uh, and these were one. they didn't have the fire retardant yeah. material at the time. Yeah, yeah this, this was one of the first casualties. And, and I remember I was on a trip and I actually had a little accident and they had to take me to do a surgery. And I get a call. Uh, from a major in the fifth group and literally was like, get your ass over here, like mm-hmm. now. Uh, so I literally jump on a plane with my surgery and all this stuff. I got there, they had a, another three or four textile geeks besides myself. And literally we were on the drawing board like, okay, sir, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. This is wow. what we can do. Wow. Um, so we deploy immediately all the solutions uh, that we thought uh, would work. Uh, it was interesting, you know, we had a stuff that literally you could burn a, 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 a metal on top and it wouldn't burn. We were totally wrong when the guys wore that. It's like, this is too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, for me, it was a learning experience too on how to design functional products because you have to create a balance between protection and the ability to attack, right? You 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 have to be able to be comfortable, as you know. Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. So the guys were, were testing all this stuff, and at the end, we ended up with a similar blend to what 
is being done right now, which is a acrylic cotton. Mm-hmm. Uh, acrylic is an inherently uh, FR-resistant material. And then the cotton, when it burns, it creates a char barrier. Mm-hmm. The only challenge was that fiber at that time, and I think it's still today, was only made in Japan. Mm. Uh, you're gonna laugh about this. The the, fa- the factory that was making the fiber here burned down. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, wow. So the, <laughs> you get that at a discount. Yeah. <laughs> so so we only you know it's not a very uh, it's a fiber that is mostly used at that time in in children's sleepwear. And mm-hmm. uh, so that blend of of cotton and and um, actually mother acrylic and cotton is the base of the FR uniforms today. But that was really developed at that time for that emergency and through that word testing. And then that went into contract. So I'll give you an example. Knowing all that information had to build, we could have gone and be the lead uh, on that contract. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we were like, you know, either we do that or we continue to build a brand. Uh, so these are sometimes in business you have to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because we had a long-term view, uh, really we thought that the whole sense of serving the people that served us, uh, making good gear for the good guys, uh, making the stuff that is really based on end-user feedback and drive innovation, uh, had a lot of legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were looking at this long-term. So that, that maybe is why we went a different path well, you had you had a strategic look at it for long term. I, I could tell that because I remember, like my understanding of five eleven. If you asked me ten years ago what five eleven was, it was the the pants guys, the khaki pants guys, and you'd look around and make fun of all the contractors that were wearing the five eleven uh, contractor pants. Um, and I thought it was funny until I became a contractor, and they're like, "You have to wear these pants." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> kind of changed the color up a little bit, but I, I remember, uh, you know, it's. Tim Kennedy, uh, we were in the same special operations unit and uh, actually was a sergeant major. He he uh, operated in my J3. Um, but uh, I started contracting with a, a government agency. And when I started hearing more 511, it was through Tim. You know, I was like seeing Tim Kennedy do stuff for you guys. And it stood out to me. I was like, I remember 511 being the khaki pants guys. I don't I actually remember them being uh, or, or seeing anything about innovation or being in the civilian space with civilian kit and equipment. And I, I remember I was doing a Southeast Asian uh, contract and I went to a shop in Modesto and you guys had a little pro shop. We, we called you guys and said, Hey, um, I know this is um, uh, a little different, but we need a whole bunch of equipment. Like now, is there any way you could do to facilitate it? And they went out of their way to facilitate it. In fact, they brought a whole bunch of med kits from another warehouse they had stored. It might've been co-located um, but they hooked us up, gave us a tour, and I started seeing the equipment. I'm like, man, this is this looks like it should be an REI. Like this is equipment that um, and 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 clothing that could be worn by anybody, uh, any civilian. And it seemed like um, it, it hit me, and I'm like, wow, five eleven has adapted and changed, um, coming out of the war zone and then evolving into the industry. What are some of the things that uh, you know I want to ask you first, and then ask the guys. What are some of the things that you have to do as a CEO and kind of adapting to that strategy where you're doing the long range 500 meter look uh, down the road and then adapting yourself and navigating to stand apart from the industry, which is massive, which is you know, everybody's uh, an emulator or a replicator in this industry, but it's hard to stand out and you guys are standing out. How, how do you guys do that? What are some of the processes? You know, I, I would say at, at least... Um you know, most of us are creatives here, and we have major ADD. 
So it, it is a challenge. Um, but we, from the very early start, we created a, a mission statement that kind of describe the future about, you know, we're innovators that make purpose-built gear for life, most demanding missions. And, you know, we have changed words here and there, but pretty much continues to be a story of innovation and serving those who serve those. Uh, so that's kind of has been our true north. Uh, right, guys? I mean, there is a lot of projects. There's a lot of shiny things that come up. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've had, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff that comes across our desk. Is like, this is, and from... People like this is a great opposite, like great sales opportunity. If we do X, Y, and Z, and it usually comes down to like if it's if it's not, you know, if it's not mission specific or it's not really, if it's off, it's it's bad to say off brand because it's like that sounds kind. Of, but like if it's really not, if you can get that from somebody else, why are we doing it? You know, like or how are we going to put our spin on it, or how are you going to make it functional for our guy? Like there's so many things that have come across. We could probably be chasing the surf market if we wanted to. Like yeah. we, you know, we could probably do something ridiculous like that. But that's just not what we do. You know, like there's other brands that do that. Like, I think that's us being true to ourselves. Like, oh, people always say they like you for who you are, and like people like us for who we are. Like, unapologetically, five eleven. Like, people like that. Like, like this brand. So, how do we give those core consumers or those people what they need? And and Brenda, you've been you know you're doing the footwear stuff. So how? Mm-hmm. How are you guys staying? Uh, di- how are you guys different from every other foot, com- you know, footwear company, Solomon, and all these guys who are in the competitive space? You know, we kind of look at the lens like we kind of look at it differently. We look at it from the, the te- like we look at it from our our end user and what their day consists of. You know, we we have a new project we're working on right now. It's um, you know, like from the Solomon side, it's a great you know, they're great brand. They they make beautiful stuff. It's really highly functional, um, but it's really directed towards that and consumer of the outdoor guy. Mm-hmm. Know, we have a couple of projects that are coming up and our big thing is like you know you know I, Solomon's great and you know I you know special forces you guys really adopted and kind of put them in our space and for us like we kind of take that level like how do we take it further uh, you know one of our new projects so will be out next year called the Atlas project like we're looking at like how do we look at our especially from the like the le point of view we look for especially this one project like all right these guys like your day starts at you know starts at six you know you do a workout you're with your family and then you're in, then you dress for work and then you're at work for like 12 hours so we kind of look at like all right you had 12 hour a day that like you know compared to like we were, we were joking about the me like you know if i go for a hike you know i got my backpack on i set up camp and i want to hike another area like i'll ditch my backpack i'll ditch some gear it's too hot i'll take this all off well if you're in le or in the military like how many times you're like you know what i'm gonna go do this i'm just gonna take off my body armor i'm gonna take off my duty belt i'm just gonna take off my like, i'm just gonna dump my gear and just go light like you're not gonna tell lapd like by the way you, you can just cut those to shorts take off your duty belt and you're just gonna have a great time today. Like that's not how it works. Like, yeah. So we kind of look at like what those needs are. I mean, I think Francisco put it great, like the ghostwriter side of it. Like our big things is to talk to our guys, like what do you guys need? What would make your life better at the end of the day? You know, one of the, like we look at you know, lighter, faster, stronger. There's that, those are all well and good, but like we all, the big thing for us in footwear is how do we just make it better for like, we're becoming more focused for our guy. Like what makes it better for you? You know, you like Solomon. Like you're making great shoes to run in the mountains. That's awesome for guys that weigh like 130 pounds. Well, when you meet part of LAPD or Orange County's, you know, SWAT, or you meet or these guys, or it's like yeah. <laughs> they're big dudes. Yeah, yeah. Like, big I, big I, frames. How, yeah. how much do you weigh? 225. 225. Yeah. Light yeah. on a light day. On a light George day. is 260 on a light day. Yeah. Nice. Well, well, and then with a kid, how? Oh yeah, 300 plus pounds. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so we look at it from that side. Like mm. that's re- like that's a huge thing for us. Like all right, so. 
And then how does that load affect? I mean, we've been doing a lot of, there's been a lot of studies we've done here with uh, joint areas around about, uh, what does that affect your body? Because the idea of too, like law enforcement and military, like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do it for, I'm going to be a cop for a year and then call it a day. Like, it's like, I'm going to be, this is like my, my calling. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. So You're how a do lifer. we, yeah. 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 So how do we keep this, you know, how do we keep you on your feet? How do we keep you mobile? How do we keep you comfortable? I mean, it's like the little things. I mean, we just did a new, like our new ATAC project. One of the biggest requests we've, I mean, we've sold tens of thousands of our ATAC boots around the world. And we went through the big three, like how do we make it lighter? How do we make it more comfortable? And how do we make it more breathable? But the big thing is like the breathability was like, we've had guys from all around the world, from the Middle East, from the contractor side, from local law enforcement. They're just like, if you could just make them cool, like breathe more breathable. It's like, if you could just do that, you'd have me for life. And you're like, that's so easy. Like, yeah, we can totally, here's nine different ways. We just got to figure out the best one for you guys. So that's how it kind of, we go with that. Hey guys, it's time for a mid-roll break. In case you didn't know, this podcast is now sponsored. We're a big deal now. Hey, I wanted to mention Duke Cannon, one of our sponsors. Hey, the bottom line is if we're offering something, it's because we're strategic partners with these company. And believe me, when I tell you Duke Cannon has a great product, it's DukeCannon.com. That's like a cannonball. Um, DukeCannon.com right now is offering 15% off your first order with the promo code PhilCraft. Let me tell you a little bit about Duke Cannon. So we used their product for the first time. We actually used their big-ass brick of soap. Yes, that's the name of it. Super patriotic company. They sent us some big-ass brick of soap. We said, hey, we need to try it out. We've been using it. I don't have a beard. I don't have thick hair, but George has been using the premium hair goods that gives you news acre thick hair like George's or beard and shaving goods that help you uh, put your best face forward. And the bottom line is it works. It's good stuff. Also, most importantly, Ducan is committed to giving back to the men and women serving our country. That's why a portion of the proceeds directly support veteran causes, which I always think is just an added benefit to business. And if that's part of the business plan, I'm all about it. Bottom line is, if you are interested in anything from Duke Cannon, you could use the coupon code PhilCraft and save 15%. Duke Cannon's superior quality grooming goods for hardworking men are tested by soldiers, not boy bands like George was a member of. I think he was a member. He was the sixth guy in the NSYNC crew and then got laid off and then went Backstreet Boys for a little while. But that's a different story. That's a different podcast. They partner with Active Duty Military to develop new ideas and reviews of products. If you didn't know it already, we spend a lot of time in the field getting dirty, and these guys at Duke Cannon spend a lot of time getting us clean. So anything that doesn't meet the high standards of soldiers doesn't happen. And the bottom line is, it's the first time that a bar of soap can be patriotic, and I'm proud to represent Duke Cannon. So make sure you go check them out at DukeCannon.com. Well, how, Scott, how are you, um, you know, how are you doing the same thing in this space when it comes to bags? Cause I, you know, I think about, I'm a bag guy. I'm a, I have a hundred different bags for a hundred different purposes, depending on what it is. And, uh, I remember, you know, at 06, 07 and 08 in Iraq, we were having difficulty bagging out sniper rifles. And so we had this dilemma. And so we had these Emerald stock bags that were good, but they would bounce the rifle all over the place and we would slap everybody in the head during an assault. By the time we got to the rooftop, everybody had a lump on their head. And so even in that time period, it wasn't the end all be all. So there's, I imagine with your position, there's tons of innovation left to stand apart, to be an outlier in this field of expertise. Uh, what are some of the things that you guys have adopted as far as processes on stand on the one up, especially when it comes to bags? 
Uh, so I think we just named some pretty specialist gear that needs to fit in bags and be carried to um, pretty extreme environments. Uh, the greatest part about our job and our role in serving that customer is that that gear is evolving every day as the, as the bad guys evolve every day, the good guys evolve every day. Um, and really what that comes down to is you have to gain the empathy for that end user. And the only way to do that from our standpoint here on the ground floor at 5.11 is, is to listen. Um, we're a company, but at times you could walk in here and it feels like a research institution. Um, and that simply and only comes from it's it's not at all it's not at all business development. It's one hundred percent passion and and creating relationships with end users and a trust with those people that um, you are here to serve them. You are here to listen to them. Um, and if you don't, you won't be able to incrementally innovate on their last piece of kit or their last piece of gear that served them right in these, you know, nine out of 10 ways. But this 10th way was really what we were after in solving that problem for you. So identifying those problem sets are um, in, in traditional product design. I think a lot of designers and developers and and merchant minds will go out looking for problems. One of the benefits of being at 5.11 and having that trust is that sometimes those problems are identified right, walking right through the door. Um, there might be a gold nugget of information that um, a duty or even civilian um, operator will, will share with us. At that point, we have, a, we have an initiative that we're chasing and we just need to listen to these 10 operators or these five operators with these five unique perspectives on that problem, mix that together. And like Francisco said, edit it down to a place that's appropriate for um, both serving that solution and uh, commercially being available to, to most everyone that we can make it available to so that everyone is solving that problem together. And you guys, are, you guys are obviously have a, a huge market in the public safety uh, uh, field, and you guys are doing a lot of military things as well. And I imagine there's a lot of crossover between mill LE and the civilian space and market because you know I always think about uh, you know some of the bags that I used in combat that were great, great recon or recce rucks that I you know halo jumped, and mm -hmm. I'm like this thing is durable enough to take an impact you know 50 feet on a lowering line and hit the ground. It's good enough for a camping session. What are some of the things that you guys are doing in the civilian space um, for, you know, marketing more towards those people that might not have the same exact needs or essential needs, um, but they still want to be part of the fold and they look at the durability as, as, as uh, relevant as well? Well, the, the product's not going to compromise on the duty requirements, but I think it goes back to what Brennan said. We really look at our end users full day. And while everyone might have some kind of duty operation throughout their day, they also, especially on the LE side, do step back into a role where they might take off the uniform, but they're not off duty. Um, but they still need those products to work for them at a moment's notice, or maybe it's already um, inherently working for them when they step out um, of the uniform and off duty. Uh, so I think it's just the holistic approach to that 24-hour cycle of what their role is and how they view themselves um, with the the customers, if you will, that they serve, the civilians that yeah. they're protecting. Um, and, and that just happens inherently in the sense that those products need to work just as well on duty as they do off duty. And so that that's a natural progression to where we get to that civilian consumer. Maybe it goes back to, you know, just listening to your original question, of like what made us maybe a little bit different? I, th I think a lot of the companies that started doing what we do at the time had inside the company true operators. Like they were people 
in the company that had served, uh, and that actually was good. For us, we had a handicap. The handicap was we, you know, like myself, I'm the son of a Spanish tailor. I went to school for textiles. I consider myself a really good product person. These guys are amazing product people, but we have no operational background. And, And to this day, all the people that work directly on product don't. And, and it became on purpose because it forces us to listen. So we have no point of view. Mm. Uh, you know, what, awesome. what, what Scott yeah. is saying, the, the next surprise that happened after implementing that process, because think about it, you know, a, lo- a lot of our competitors would be like, yeah, you know, I was in Vietnam and this is what worked. And or maybe I was in Desert Storm and this is what worked. Uh, we're talking, because we don't have a point of view, we're talking to people that are cons- constantly doing this and they're bringing new feedback into the loop that we wouldn't have if we had a, our own point of view. Yeah, that's a well. Number one, that's a genius idea because I'm a, you know, I'm pretty hypercritical of the tactical space and industry because you know everybody who has my background usually starts a, a firearms tactical company or something like that. And I think what's important to note is that you know the tactics, techniques, and procedures constantly evolve, and I myself have an expiration date and relevancy, and so. Even when I teach, I'm like, if I don't stay on top of tactics and procedures, that LEO, you know, I'm listening, like we're teaching uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday a pistol and carving course in San Diego. I want to hear the TTPs because I want those officers that I'm teaching to understand that there's relevant things that are changing on the on the battlefield, for lack of a better term, on the streets. And so the fact that you guys have implemented that process is is is. I'm assuming a, a fundamental success and in, in why you guys are where you're at. Um, I think that's important as well because I mean, a lot of end users, I'll tell you this from experience, you know, even being a special operations guy who's been out of the fold for a couple of years, uh, there's tactical equipment um, technology that has changed every minute. And one rotation, you know, one combat rotation or even in a semi-permissive environment in Africa could change everybody's tactical uh, nylon setup uh, for the rest of, of history. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tuned into like USASOC and SOCOM as far as uh, requirements. And it, it, I'm just surprised at how much it evolves and changes. It does. Changes, it does yeah. all the time. Yeah, you guys, you guys, um, you know, obviously T&E or R&D, how you define it, is focusing on the end user. What are, do you guys have any implementation of testing products in-house uh, outside of the end users that are uh, validating them in, in the field? Yeah, so, so think about it this way. So we start with the problem set, right? So we have to identify the problem set. Uh, these guys go and create the solutions. We retrofit that back to end users, and there is a stage that we call field testing. So that testing is happening at the field. Once we know what we want, uh, then we go to the lab. The advantage of the lab, it doesn't give us real time in use, um, but it gives us acceleration so we can put something and see how it will weather, for example. You know, how will it, how will it react to perspiration and sun at the same time? Uh, how will it react to salt water? Uh, how will it react to abrasion? So we how, what's this uh, seam strength? Uh, so we'll do all the lab testing, then we compare it to wear testing, and then eventually we go and make the product. Before the product goes to market, we, create, we do a very small run of uh, production and we have people in our ecosystem. Uh, normally we like to get people also involved that have not been part of the development process. 
uh, because let's say this, this group had a point of view on how gear should be carried and should be deployed. Then we bring it to somebody else that does that job and they may love it or they may find a problem. They may say, hey, well, we don't carry that that way. That's not how we deploy it. So that's when it's, somebody like Scott will come in and create a solution where you can take, you know, uh, mag mag holders are, are a good example. You know, is it bungee? Is it a cover? Uh, you know, how you deploy your and, and carry your mags uh, is a big topic in the community. So a lot of our, our, our magazine holders uh, have many ways uh, to carry and deploy your mags. That would be a, a good example. So, so yeah, so we go through formal wear testing, lab testing, back to wear testing with the final product. And normally we still have to make some changes because you, you find problems at that stage. No huge problem. If it's a huge problem, we, tr we start from zero again. Yeah. Yeah, well, I like uh, it, it's, uh, it's uh, refreshing to hear that, that you guys are identifying kind of like the quantifiables and isolating the specific test. Because I've seen a lot of companies, what they do is they'll put it together, throw it together, save money on T&E &E or an R&D, give it to the end user, say abuse it. If it's broken, let us know if we can fix it, and then we'll change it. And the problem with that process, like you identified, is different applications, depending on the end user, can determine the outcome of that mm -hmm. equipment. And just like, I mean, for example, the uh, the magazine thing. When I was in, uh, when I was a sniper team sergeant uh, for the the SIF, which is a, a Haas's rescue team in and uh, special forces, I never had anything on the front of my plate carrier because we did a lot of building climbing and surreptitious thing and laying on your on your belly in the right. prone. And so all of our stuff was contained and had to have flaps as opposed to an assaulter who would have all of his stuff exposed because he's on the X, he's kicking in the door, and he might have to do a tactical or slide like reload and get to that equipment uh, really fast. And so w I wanted to ask you guys, uh, Scott and Brennan, you know, let's start with uh, Scott. Um, when you're looking at that process and um, kind of beginning to end uh, and when you, when you uh, move it to market, how long does that process t typically last? And then... Uh, Oh yeah, if we want to hand it off to Brennan, uh, how long does that process typically last? And is there an average, or is there how does that how does that happen? Uh, depends on the project. I mean, we have stuff that we've worked on for twenty four months oh, wow. from yeah. design development. We've had it out, back out again. We've gone lab testing. Uh, it depends on what we're developing. I mean, we work with you know some of our partners like Vibram and BASF and some of these other partners we use. Like it can go on. Um, until we feel like it's it's right, we it can go on for a long. I mean, so we yeah. have some projects that move quicker. Um, you know, we got some new stuff coming out that um, we were working with some, uh, like the Norris project was coming out in a couple of months. One is like guys wanted like a, they wanted something that's a little bit more casual, um, kind of like a Vans kind of look like skate mm -hmm. shoe that's kind of low vis. Um, and, this, you know, we had a guys come in, we had a couple guys come in that like, that were like wearing Chuck Taylors and shoot houses. And you're like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, that's got to be so dangerous. Like, mm -hmm. like, oh, this is what I like to wear. I'm kind of, it's my day off. Like, well, I'm training, but this is what I do. And I'm like, all right, well. So we kind of kicked some ideas around and we figured out how we, that was quicker because we, we kind of had a set idea of like, all right, well, we made it, you know, puncture resistant to the, you know, U.S. standards, like ASTM standards. We worked with Vibram on an outsole. We got that together real kind of quicker because we're like, we're just like, hey, this could be a really fun project. Next, you know, we got a bunch of guys who are just like, we've got guys in D.C. are now like, oh, this is, good. I'm going to do this, I'm going to wear this all the time. You're like, whoa, you're like, I don't know if the president's going to be cool with that, but that's cool, man. Like, we can that's wear awesome. Yeah. But for us, it could be anything, like, you know, we all have different level. I think it's interesting for all the different product groups because it all connects the body differently. For us, like footwear, is kind of like it's gotta it's gotta do such different things. So like the bags, like I think Scott's. We each have our own kind of like biometric 
issues that we have to deal with. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so like Francisco said, like it's kind of when it's right, it comes out. So like it could be as quick as six months and we've got a working prototype and people love it. So we've got a couple of projects that like right now that we plan, like I'm right. We have a new project coming up, like kind of like in the, the jungle world. You know, we're, we're giving it a solid 18 to 24 months of just design development. Making sure it's done Just right. make yeah. sure. And then like some really gnarly field testing that, um, I moved my son down to Francisco. He can go back down to South and Central America to check it out because the pictures we saw look pretty scary. Uh, but but just like it just depends on kind of that project, like what's going to make the most sense. Like the worst thing we can do as a brand is is like you say, like give it to the guys and hope they fix it. And we'll we'll fix it the next round. Like you do that, like people just look at you like guys, what what are you doing? Like yeah. it's just like you're kind of being a bunch of clowns. Like we're like that's like. I used to work in the action sports world, and that's what every like. What's the hottest trend right now? Pink. Well, sh- man, we all got to make pink. We got to do this, or you got to make this. Like, we don't chase. The great thing about here is like you don't chase trends. Mm-hmm. You chase what you, you're not even chasing. You're like we're fixing these problems. Nice. So once you get that mentality, and you kind of shift gears, like that wins out. So like there, we've had meetings. I mean, we've had like we have stage gates where we go through these processes and. I mean, how many times we've seen the same project come up, like... Ooh, years. Yeah, like, years. Oh, it's back again. This project, we all kind of make a joke. But, like, but all of a sudden, like, some innovation in this field will come out, or this new material, or this new... Or this new person comes on board. You know, we have someone coming, like, who looks at it, like you say, like, we, you know, us not having that background, you look at it with a new, like, a new lens, and you're like, well, why don't you guys just do this? And you're like, oh, my God, holy... Yeah, you're totally right. I didn't even... That's how the, that's how the best innovation practices uh, are executed. Yeah. It's uh, just some dude going... Oh, you guys haven't thought about this? And in one liner, you're like, what? Yeah, it's like you walk mind room, blown. you literally bang your head against the wall yeah. and have a beer and call it night. But, like, you definitely look at it like, but that's a great thing because, like, if you, take the, if you take your ego out of it and you just, you open it up and have transparency and have that team, what we work with, look at things. You know, things happen, can happen really quick or they can take a long time. But, like, it, you always, you're, at the end of the day, you're trying to make the best product yeah, you can. Yeah, I like that. I'll give, I'll give you an example of that one. So we had been working for years on... You know, guys will come like your your issue, right? Say, hey, you know, I, I can only carry the magazines this way. Can you make something like Molly, but I can deploy my gear and carry my gear in different directions? And it's like, you know, so we started trying many things. You know, uh, one time I tackled this myself, and I was like, okay, so what we'll do is we'll make pouches that have this this uh, mechanical thing that you can turn around. And you can put the gear in any angle and all this stuff. Well, that was very stupid because once sand gains <laughs> in that gear, uh, stops rotating, and now you have you know gear that is like hanging off too far away from the. So you know we spent a ton of money trying all the stuff. So Scott and a and a hand group, of, handful of guys were uh, working at a factory, and in their spare time they started playing around with some geometry. And they came up with a geometry that literally you can, it's called our hex grid, it's a patented technology that you can completely revolutionize how you put pouches and make Smalley obsolete. But the solution is so simple and we had spent like five, six years working on all these complicated ways to solve the problem. I still remember because I was on my desk and they came in and said, hey, we got to show you something. So they showed me when I saw it, I said, please put this away and go see, and go see the patent attorney that's right awesome. now. That's awesome. And so that's that for, for uh, a lot of people who don't uh, know this, you guys have a lot of uh, intellectual property that, that you guys are in the business of innovating. And so you guys have uh, taken the time to do the patents and protect, 
you guys have intellectual property. How many patents do you guys have? Is there a is there a number on it? There is, but I don't I don't know it. We 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 have a lot, yeah, a, cr- a crap ton, a metric, yeah, a shit ton is what yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty extensive list. I'm, I'm more in the pipeline too, you know, because it's, it's a it's a multi year process. You 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 do a search, you submit, you get approved. And that gives you a U.S. patent. Yeah. Then you say, okay, do I want to protect this in other countries? And there's a cost associated with that. So mm-hmm. normally we go, yes, okay, which countries? And then you apply. So, so yeah, we, you know, because we spend a lot of money creating the IP, mm-hmm. uh, we want to protect it. And, and unfortunately, you know, we are in an industry where there's a lot of bottom feeders that all they do is copy stuff. That's, yeah. That's all they Their do. Their whole business plan is copying stuff. Copying stuff, yeah. 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 I remember uh, we, on the shoe thing, we were talking, um, I remember in 2006, we were doing uh, raids all over the place and we were using 160th. And so we were infiltrating um, and we're landing helicopters in the mud. And then we would run across in vibrant souls or whatever it may be. And then we'd hit a house and the house would have marble floors because okay. it was that part of Baghdad. Right. And so what we started doing is, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm the uh, the outlier here, but I had my mom send me a pair of basketball shoes. And what I would do is I'd wear a pair of, you know, Air Jordans and then we'd land and everybody like, what are you doing? And as soon as we hit the mud, I would literally be able to wipe my feet before we went into the house and have like basically an approach shoe and was able to, to navigate, building, climb and do all the things that we were uh, able to do. And then it's funny, the next year, our, our next big purchases were approach shoes. We were literally right. using approach shoes, GSG-9 uh, which became a popular uh, mm-hmm. shoe for assaults um, because of the sick floors that we were hitting in the middle of uh, Iraq. I mean, that's crazy because there's so much. We run into that all the time. We've had that, – that's, I mean, one yeah. of the things Francisco's wearing the uh, Pursuit uh, – no, actually, our Rish and Ready shoes because we we've always had the kind of dilemma. It's funny. Like what you're talking about is not – it's like all the problems, that you're, like that problem is inherently for like anyone in military law enforcement because mm-hmm. you're transitioning from – because your day can like your day has right. like direct action, but like that's happening. Like you're going through the mud. I mean, oh, yeah. this, now I'm in a palace. Yep. Like if if you wrote if you saw this like in a movie, you'd be like what the what is going on? Oh, like, yeah. Middle of the dark and like oh marble columns like tigers. This is awesome. Like yeah yeah. But the same thing for like we run into that. So it's it's how do you? I mean, kind of. I think one of the big things for tactical gear is like. It's really, if you, I mean, layman's terms, it's really, really, really functional gear. Like, it's the yeah. utmost, like, functional gear. So, like, Francisco has a pair on that. We worked with guys, some guys from the FBI and Secret Services. You know, we had a story from one of them that they were, um, they are having lunch. Actually, it was local here. They are having lunch. Something happened. There was a silent alarm at a bank. And these guys, local guys for the FBI were like, oh, what's, you know, like, they got the alert. And they stood up. They're like, wait, the bank is... And they look around, they're like, they're having lunch across the kiosk from oh, the wow. bank. Yeah. So he literally stood up and these guys walk out the front and they, like, it's straight, like, there's, I mean, I don't know how much embellishment. I mean, the you guys. You can't make that up. Yeah, you can't like, make that story, up. Like, yeah. The guys, like, the guys roll, they literally watch the guys roll out, masks come off, go in the trash can. They're both carrying bags and they're walking across the kiosk. They're like, oh man, this, it's on. Like the guys, like, take another sip of soda, putting it down, like. All right, we gotta fight. Let's let's go get them. And they start walking. They want to walk away from the like where the the bank was to get it out of the area. And then those the two guys realize people are chasing. Like these guys are in suits. Definitely somebody. So like foot pursuit. Those guys are running. And one of the guys is wearing a pair of um, dress shoes, like leather bottom dress shoes. And he hit this concrete corner that was wet. Feet went out. Knocked himself out cold. While his partner, like the other two guys, had they finally got the guys. 
so he came back and gave us that story. Like, all right, well, there's something we can definitely do for you. Like, let's figure out how we make a dress shoe. Like, same thing. Like, how do we make a shoe that is mm. uniform? Like, whatever that uniform is, if it's camping, if it's LE, if it's military, like, how do you make that shoe, like, appropriate for that? And how do you make it the most functional possible? So, like, we partnered with Vibram on those shoes. Like, we need as close as you can get to, like, climbing grade grip rubber for these dress shoes and functionality. So if the guy has to go active, like this thing is like, that's one, everything we talk to guys, like you, there's always someone who's got like going active can happen at any time. Like it's just, that's, yeah. and especially, you know, the law enforcement side of it happens, unfortunately more times than not. Well, what I like, I'm, you know, the whole premise behind Philcraft survival is uh, teaching self-reliance to civilians, military and law enforcement. Um, but specifically in the civilian market is teaching them that, you know, they, they, have to be prepared to be their own first response. Right. Because the latency and uh, paramedics and first responders, period, yeah. if something happens, you have to be prepared. And what I'm thinking, uh, you know, out loud now is, you know, civilians, that's an applicable utility for a civilian. Because when you're a, a dad and you go yeah. to work in your corporate, uh, you know, cubicle every single day and you're around your kids and you need to better protect your kids or be able to, you know, get on foot and move out. You just can't depend on those loafers that you bought from JC Penney. <laughs> no, you no. want to be ready for it. You got it. Yeah, and that's. I mean, it, it is crazy that. I mean, we were reading something. Uh, I forgot who's writing about like how a lot. So many people are just on their phones, zoning out. Like mm -hmm. you walk. Like you know, we we're. I think we were meeting with some law enforcement group. They were talking. One actually it was a SWAT group, and the one guy who's lieutenant was talking. He's like, "Yeah, I sit down with my wife, and I'm the one guy. He goes into the restaurant. I sit with my back against the wall. Yeah, my phone doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. He's like, I look around for all the dirt bags." Mm -hmm. I make sure I know this is a nice place. If there's too many dirt bags, we're not in here, hon. We got to leave. You know, most people just live in kind of that fog of like, oh, this place has got great burritos. Let's have a burrito. This is going to be, I can't wait. Like, so it's just such a different mentality. So we've, we got to live up to those expectations yeah. and also that level of performance with the, like, because most average people are like, yeah, I can wear a pair of flips. I put my board shorts on, t-shirt. Like if something happens, like you're probably going to be in deep shit. Hey, our next podcast sponsor, Mid-Roll, is Blankist. Me and Raul talked about it on the last podcast. Raul was actually using it before we actually got sponsored and turned me on to it. Blinkist is an app. Blinkist is an app that takes the best key takeaways from the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you could read or listen to them. I mean, the bottom line is we're very busy people. I mean, we can't even scroll and click on Instagram without losing our shit. So the fact that Blinkist is taking books, getting all the key information, the main points, and consolidating them into easy to read and listen to snippets and cliff notes is highly important in optimizing your life. Eight million people right now are using Blinkist and has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health to history books. Hell, I hope to get my mindset book on Blinkist. Make sure you check out some of the books. Some of my favorites are The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and The 4-Hour Workweek. I like all of Tim Ferriss' book, but check out The 4-Hour Workweek. And you can get this information, again, consolidated in the cliff note versions of all the important notes of those books. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash survival to start your seven-day trial for free, absolutely for free. Again, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like you're blinking your eye, blinkist.com slash survival to start your free seven-day trial. Make sure, make sure 
make sure you sign up for this. This is one of the best things that I've uh, seen in innovative practices online and optimizing time, and you're going to benefit from it just like we have. Thanks, guys. Well, you know, Francisco, what is I'm hearing a lot of um, things about kind of like the civilian market where it's kind of there's a, 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 a natural crossover mm-hmm. into the civilian space. And especially I, I, I get excited about it because it's kind of my field of, for my company is trying to educate consumers not only on the, um, the right training to take, the right mindset psychologically, but also the, the right equipment. Mm-hmm. And what are you guys doing for the civilian space or the market, if, if anything? Are you guys uh, looking at the civilian space and going, hey, this is a viable space that we need to be in? Because I, I know I talked to your mar- one of your marketing guys, and we were just talking about the overland space, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we look at – I've always taught people that, hey, you know, I, I spent a year in Yemen, for example, as a contractor – and that's a real semi-permissive to per, uh, non-permissive environment that goes bad really fast. And so when you're looking at a civilian uh, who drives a vehicle every single day to work, that's an extension of the rucksack. It's literally extension of their capability because they could have the upgraded med kits. They could have the recovery kits. They could have the survival kits. And so uh, when, when you look at 511 in the future and the civilian space, do you have a strategy for that? You know, I'll I tell you one thing that we're doing um, – so from a company perspective, this came by accident, right? So, so we're designing the gear for the operators. And people are finding this gear and they are repurposing the gear. So openly speaking, you know, at one point we got a little bit confused because, um, you know, in marketing they, they teach you that you should listen to your customer. By definition, that person that buys your product is your customer. So we had to have really tough discussions internally because – the civilians are buying our products, should we be designing for the civilians? And the debate uh, was won by the group that said, no, you know, we continue to make the gear for the operators. And if they want to buy it, uh, they can buy it. uh, And they will be very happy uh, because the gear is overbuilt. The, The counter argument to that is, you know, if you don't overbuild a bag, you can sell it for half as much and you will sell more bags. That, that is a counter-argument. So it's not like crazy talk. You know, you, if you design, you know, let's say our, our amp bags or rush bags, if we took that bag and took half of the features out, dumped down the fabric, uh, that, fabric that bag would perform very well for a civilian. Uh, it'll last a year, it'll last two years. If we leave it the way that it is, for a true operator, that'll last a couple deployments. For sure, at one deployment, I've seen bags come back that is like, wow, this is, I own bags that are 10 years old, and they're like brand new. So as a company, yes, we're going after that consumer, uh, but we're giving them the same products that we are designing for the true operators. What we are doing to make it more accessible is we're opening stores where they can come in, people from all walks of life, and experience the product. That, that's really the main difference that, that we're doing. So we're making things ac- accessible. It's interesting, too, that the uses that the true operator has, they're very applicable to, uh, to, the, to the consumer. You know, Scott, maybe you can share a little bit about the stuff that you've been working to outfit rental cars mm-hmm. and how that might, that's going to cross over into overlanding. So, so like uh, Francisco saying, it, it's a natural progression in that um, 
we we try to meet these standards and demands from that duty user um, in an environment such as a rental car um, or uh, in this case a, a patrol vehicle maybe that's a UC um, and in that case there there's a certain set of standards guidelines and, and functions that they need to operate inside of that vehicle and to be able to uh, fight from that vehicle um, there's a gear set uh, opportunity of multiple items that they need to outfit their vehicle from and those items maybe aren't as offensive in nature on the civilian side but um, for example in the overlanding market um, we've seen a little bit of feedback almost accidentally um, working with duty end users who guess what on on saturday and sunday they take their toyota tacoma out as far as they can and they're taking all that stuff out of their rental cars now and their uc cars and they're putting it into the toyota and the ford um i i think in that sense uh it's it's obviously a, f a form follows function not not to be redundant in that quote but it, it's an unapologetic form follows function um, you'll, you'll definitely see that in some of the products that we're talking about. Um, and in that case, you know, we follow that up with being unapologetically comfortable, unapologetically durable. Um, and those standards, I think that your average civilian nowadays is very thankful to that duty population. And that then becomes an aspiration too to use the same gear as those people that you're looking up to. And it's so applicable in crossover that it's an easy transition. Yeah, they, you know, we're, we're in the Overland space. We're going to be at Overland Expo. It's uh, May 16, 17, 18. I think I talked to you guys as a marketing guy as well, and you guys will be there as well. And it's a it makes sense to me because when you have equipment um, and it's good enough for the military and law enforcement industry or space, those guys use and abuse that equipment because it's part of the job. It's part of right. their uh, uh, their lifestyle. And so when you look at, you know, in crossing over from the tactical space to the overland space, the needs and the requirements are just the same because you need the durability in the field. And what I've realized is in, in teaching a class, like the guys and gals are showing up in the same type of equipment. They understand what the good bags are. And what I like about you guys is... Look, the beef I've had with the tactical space is when I was on active duty as a E8, E9, um, or a Master Sergeant and uh, Sergeant Major, as a senior guy, I would go to SHOT Show and represent U.S. Army Special Operations Command. And I would see these tactical companies suck these dudes dry of all their information, their institutional knowledge, and then they would overdo kind of the tactical um, output. So everything was loud and it was, we're tactical, more tactical than everybody, more camo <laughs> and which is in your face. More and and yeah, it's crazy that, that when you see that, that has a market because it's, there is a demographic there, but mm -hmm. typically it's not the utilitarians. It's not the people who want it because of the function. It's the air, no, no offense to air softer because there's some cool air softers out there. But it's kind of the crowd that wants to emulate, but right. they don't necessarily do it for function. And so what I like about the outdoor space and the overland space is they do do it for function, leading back to you guys' mm -hmm. roots with the 511 and the pants story. Um, and you guys are making colors and designs that are, um, you know, it, whether it's deliberate or not, more aesthetically pleasing for civilians because it's not like, – like if you're a military guy – um, and you're operating in Africa, you don't want Mali multicam anything. You want to be that tourist, that diplomat, sure. and you want to operate in that space. And even more so now, 
um, because of the way we're operating throughout the world, including in the United States with law enforcement, you just can't give yourself away with that kind of signature. Mm -hmm. So the fact is the aesthetic is going to be civilian-esque. It's going to be low-vis, but the utility is going to be rugged and and, uh, make sense in the durability long-term. I love that. You actually just hit on exactly what we've been, the kind of products that we make are driven by that. You know, so the guys that are carrying weapons, they don't want to look like they have weapons. So the bags are colorful. They have all type of, you know, if you're being deployed with a kit and people know you're, you know, with another hundred guys that are dressed like you, not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's it's brown, it's green, whatever. Uh, But yeah, guys like you uh, want the stuff to look like whatever is being worn around. Yep. So a lot of our stuff tend to lean towards the outdoor because that's trendy right now. So we'll take all the function that we have and then put the look so that you can blend in and we make it look good. That's why I think it spills over to civilians because, you know, it looks good. It, uh, it, fits, in my nar- it fits in the narrative that we beat to death on social media and all of our free outlets for education. It's that, hey, if you have options, which you have many options as a consumer – you know, even at the, the different price points, like pick the thing that is going to work for you and have the best output of utility and function in your life. Mm-hmm. And then and then secondary to that is the aesthetic. But it's nice when both complement each other, obviously. Um, what I notice about you guys, in, and this is unique, obviously, in the space, is brick and mortar. Um, when you see all these companies failing and falling apart, I remember I used to wear Paraclete body armor, for example, and mm-hmm. Paraclete was real popular for special operations for a period of time, and they had a brick and mortar, and then everything seemed to fall apart. And that story is repeated times a thousand for uh, this space. You guys have done the opposite in recent years. I think it's 2016, 17, you guys opened your first one of your first stores. You guys uh, have uh, retail spaces, and I believe it's 40, 50? Is it 50 now? Yeah, 50 now, yeah. It's 50 now, And, and now... What I've noticed in business, and I'm not sure if this is true uh, in the tactical space, but what I've noticed is if you have a brick and mortar, it's almost like you've vetted, you're, you're validated. Because now people who are having brick and mortar and opening up a storage, it's like they have uh, the e-commerce output, but now they're presenting their case because they want the end user to be able to see, touch, feel before they fulfill. And I, I just saw it, and I went to you guys, one of you guys' store in Phoenix um, and I was completely impressed by the amount of selection. It was like it reminded me of REI. It was like an REI, but for the tactical space. Correct. Um, what are some of the reasons that you decided to go brick and mortar? And what does the future look like for um, adding more brick and mortar stores in the future? Are you, are you guys doing that? Yeah, definitely. I, I think you know it hit one point where we had a tough time bringing all the gear to the people that need it to the consumer. Uh, you know, we we make stuff that for a guy like you is second nature. You know how to put it together. Uh, we can ship that stuff in a box, no directions, and you will put that gear and that kit together in an hour or so. For when it comes to the next layer of consumers, uh, they don't know that. Uh, they don't know how Molly works. They don't know how attachments work. They don't they just know, you know, you have to have been in the military. Layering, uh, which is common sense, you know, for you guys, uh, where to keep things, uh, you know, unless you have been trained. Uh, Even as simple as packing a bag, packing a ruck or a, it's, you have to be 
taught or learned. You, you, you have to be taught. Like, you know, like when we make stuff, like, you know, when I, when we kind of go with teams like your former team, we will go in and see like, wow, everybody carries the same thing in the same pocket. Why? It's like, well, something goes down. I want to go in your bag and I know where that is. Uh, you know, that level of discipline, like, you know, that mindset of, you know, one is known, two is one, uh, you know, all these little things, uh, we couldn't tell the story through just the website or a uniform store. So we decided, hey, let's bring, let's bring this to life uh, in a retail concept where people can come in. Uh, the staff needs to know about it. So a lot of our staff are veterans. Uh, they could be working part-time because they're a police officer. So they have the knowledge and we train them. Or they're self-trained, you know, depend, depends on, on, on the individual. So when you come in into our stores, uh, you can experience this tactical uh, lifestyle because they, there's really nothing, you know, they are outdoor stores, they are action sports stores, but really tactical when you, that combination of function, fashion, utility, durability, and comfort all together in a package uh, doesn't exist. It's a new vertical. So we felt that we had to create the stores. Actually, we felt no. We had to create uh, the stores where you could go and experience that. So uh, we're opening around one to two a month, uh, and they are working uh, really well. And it's a really good point to interact uh, with end users, either our core customer or these new consumers that are discovering uh, the brand. It's, it's really fun, like you know, like uh, people that are in uh, pit. Cruise, they love tactical uh, gear because similar similar type of situations, right? You have to be comfortable, you have to be uh, able to have a lot of range of motion, and you have to be able to store and retrieve gear fast. Uh, I mean, that's the big difference uh, between other gear. Oh, and durable, right? That's another part that that I think tactical gear uh, brings is that you know you you can buy you know our jeans. I think they're like sixty something. Uh, you can have uh, two AR magazine uh, in the jean because they had hidden pockets. Uh, you can retrieve them really fast if you're trained properly on how to uh, retrieve a, a magazine. Uh, they have a stretch. Uh, they have uh, a, a yarn that helps wick moisture, uh, but they're not 150 bucks. They're like $69. So, and they're very durable and they're very good looking. But you won't find that at a department store. So we had, and, and I don't think the department stores will carry it. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound controversial, but as we were spilling into the main consumer market, we had these consultants come in and say, hey, you guys know that a lot of people don't like the police and they don't, maybe not fan of the military. Maybe you need to take more of an, an outdoor approach so that you can create, increase your, your addressable market. And it was funny because in the video, everybody's, oh, no, that's very simple. They can go and buy F something else somewhere, F something where, because, you know, these are our customers, right? So for us, it's pretty simple to to stick to, to what we do and welcome into the stores people that appreciate, you know, the military and law enforcement uh, versus, you know, being just another fashion store. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you guys actually have – I don't know, narrowed your focus and stayed true to that because it'd be so easy, right, to sell it off and distribute it through a different network, get it into an REI, get it into different spaces, and just, uh, uh, you know, you could even probably do it without even disabling your brand, but you stay true to the utility and form and function to a specific uh, demographic 
that has to do it and has to use that equipment to potentially save lives. And then uh, by default, I think it's working out this way that, and, and I'm, I'm in this space, so I'm kind of seeing it where people were asking the question like, hey, you know, I want the same durability and function uh, in equipment, in, in clothing, in tactile, whatever, but they don't know what the resource is. So then they're looking up and say, hey, Mike, what's the best bag? Or, hey, what's the best pants? Because I want to have that um, same kind of function that a law enforcement officer or a military guy has. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's unique to not digress from that. You know? I, I personally think our our approach and our focus on that makes it even easier than trying to get a hook and bullet into REI or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Because if you look at a piece of gear that we're working on and we are trying to make that piece of gear versatile enough that it can be modified and configured for five different roles in a stack per se, that sixth role of the person who's not on the stack, it's definitely going to apply and work for mm -hmm. them in some way. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, this sounds like, uh, as a CEO, a CEO of my company and talking to another CEO of a, a, a monster company, I call you. Um, it seems like there's a lot of challenges here in, in growing something that seems, uh, really fitting where it's at. You know, it's, it's hard to like evolve that kind of process in my mind. How do you, what are some tactics personally as a, as the leader of the company, uh, do you personally, uh, inject into your life or maybe even your routine of how you stay focused and continue to innovate and evolve? Is there practices? Is there processes? Is there a leadership style? That's an individual. Yeah. You know, I, I have personally gone through a, through a journey to improve myself, you know, if you see me, I, I used to weigh like sixty more pounds than I weigh oh, wow. than I awesome. weigh right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nowadays, you know, I never run. Five years ago, nowadays, I run ultra marathons. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know, taking care of your of the physical aspect uh, then helps take care of the psychic part. Uh, and and at the end, you have to figure out where you have to have fun. You know, I'm, I'm talking selfishly about myself. Like yeah. like that's how I you know nowadays to take the pressure. Uh, that's how I take care of myself. You know, I work out a lot. Uh, I make sure that I have a lot of fun at work. These guys know I love to be joking around all the time. Uh, and we have a lot of fun here, but that, that's how I have fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm very fortunate because most of the people that we work with, and I'm talking customers, uh, they're like family now. So, you know, when I'm traveling overseas and, and meeting either our team members, we have people all over the world. We have offices in Brazil, Middle East, uh, Sweden, Australia, Mexico. So when I'm traveling and meeting our, you know, our coworkers, uh, it's fun for me because I get to see, you know, all these people that, you know, I have an appreciation for and, and, and kind of like similar to the brotherhood that you develop when you go downrange with somebody. Uh, we have a similar sisterhood, brotherhood here because, you know, we're building something uh, and it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy because it takes people. Uh, and when it takes people, it takes coordination, uh, it takes time, uh, it takes tough times, you know, it takes arguments, it takes, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. But yeah, I would say, you know, taking care of yourself physically is a good foundation to be able to challenge yourself uh, mentally. Uh, yeah, we, we, we talk about that in survival resiliency mindset training is like, hey, the first thing you need to do if you want to have a more resilient mindset and be squared away in life executing anything is taking care of yourself first. And so I like, I, I think it's cool. You guys got a, a gym right now, right yeah. down the hall and have a couple workouts of the day a day. 
and it's 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 completely true. And it's something that I've neglected for a couple of years, and now for the first time realizing uh, when things do fall apart, it, the reason why is because I'm not optimizing my own health and my own situation in order to you know, be squared away to lead. Cause you need to have that squared away before you could lead obviously. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, for, for, uh, you guys, I wanted to get you guys' uh, opinion on, um, kind of why you, why you're so passionate about what you do, uh, for a living. Cause it seems, you know, I talked to, uh, you guys know him, Dan, um, Edwards at Reveille Peak Ranch. And, um, you guys do a lot of filming and shooting out there. And I actually saw you guys as, there's this cool little pro shop that you guys put in a Connex. It's like a shipping container, but you turn it into like a store for all the law enforcement and military that go out there. So they have a place to go and visit the equipment wise. And I, I said, Hey Dan, you know, what's your opinion of five eleven? And, and he rarely says this, this guy's got an MBA retired major special forces guy, a good buddy of mine. And he's like, I have nothing bad to say about five eleven. And and I'm like, okay, so what else you got? And he's like, well, they're, they're passionate about what they do. There's a squared away company and I have nothing bad to say. And I'm like, well, that's rare because usually Dan has something bad to say <laughs> because he's hypercritical uh, like myself. But he said that, and I want to know what kind of drives you as individuals, um, you know, to, to be where you're at, to be purpose driven and to be successful. It's, it's, it's going to sound cliche, but it's just easiest said as serving those who serve. Um, not to discredit our other uh, industries from the past, but a lot of us come from different backgrounds, as Francisco was noting. Um, and while those industries were fun and maybe there was a lot of personal interest in those industries, to, to hit this industry, realize the responsibility that our end user holds um, and to sort of feel like you're maybe in the nosebleed sections at the Laker game uh, cheering on that team and providing that gear for them, it, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Um, it, it drives us day and night, uh, night a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is, it is easiest said as just serving those who serve. It, and, end of game That's right awesome. there. What about you, Brennan? What do you got? Uh, it's got the similar thing. Like, I mean, like Scott said, like, you know, I, I had an action sports background for a long time and it was kind of that, uh, kind of, to be honest, it was really unfulfilling in a lot of ways. You know, like I used to have great trips, like snowboarding trips to like to Switzerland, like around the world, like, or skateboard trips or whatever, but it kind of all felt kind of flat. Like it wasn't, you just didn't really feel like, you know, you're not what you're pushing harder for, like you're working really hard at the factory, you're working hard with design, you're trying to push things farther, but like it just never felt like that extra, you didn't, like you, we're the, like I guess really at the end of the day, like it really hit me home for me here is like one day when we got those letters in the mail or you get like an email like, hey, you made X and I got home at the end of the day. Huh. Like that, like when you get that first one, like, and I'm not the government, it's not like I get a ton of them, but like I got one that was definitely like went home was like, wow, that's like, it's pretty deep. Like it just for you, you're like, all right, I'm making a big difference in somebody's life. Yeah. And it, it, just a pair of shoes. Like I mean, like I can't imagine like all the other stuff they got to go through the other day. But like for that, you know, I, for me that really hits home. Is like it's that's where it makes a big difference. Is like you're helping people that help others. Like I mean, it's a higher calling. It's you know, I we I think we all have family that I have family that's ex-military. My dad was a surgeon and worked at Fayetteville Veterans Hospital for a long time. Like. He was private practice forever, and then he he's like, you know what, I'm kind of sick of this. And then he went into the VA and worked at the VA there at F4 Bragg, and like, he did it for like 12 years. Like, got, he probably could have retired a long time ago, but he's like, he felt like he's like, you know what, I'm doing what I can to help. And for me, like, 
just like helping a team make shoes for law enforcement military for me it's like if this is the bare minimum i can do i better do it really well awesome francisco you know i i i don't i was one of the first ones here so it, it happened to me after like eight months where i realized wow you know somebody like me that had no aspirations or expectations that i would ever serve a greater purpose was put now in a situation where i could uh, and that was a life-changing uh, experience, especially, you know, mine was, uh, you know, I, I, I met somebody that, that, you know, came back really fucked up from, from, uh, from Iraq. And, you know, the guy comes and shakes my hand and says, thank you, sir, for making great gear. You know, I lost my shed, obviously, because... You know, I'm looking at this individual and it's like, man, this guy, how, how can I be thanking me? I should be like on my knees, you know, thanking this guy because this freedom that, that I have, you know, I'm not from this country. Uh, so, you know, this is my adopted mother. Uh, this is my adopted brother. And he's thanking me for making gear that he bought or somebody bought for him. And it, it really changed my life. And I, and I was like, wow, what a blessing to, to, you know, to be able to serve these people that are, that are really amazing people so i think i think that's what makes the difference the people that we serve um more than the act maybe of serving them is the people are so amazing you know if if you serve your country or, or you're the person with a badge and you wake up every morning it's not easy to be a captain you you go out there with a uniform uh you have the responsibility to protect society but you got to come home too uh, you know, uh, when there is an accidental shooting out there, I'll, I'll recommend anybody that has a question about that, go and take a simulation uh, class and, 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 and you will see how, how fast you will shoot half of the people in the simulation uh, that you're not supposed to shoot. Uh, it's a really, really, I don't want to make our law enforcement pissed off a bit, but it's a crappy job. It's, it's, it's really tough. Uh, I, will, I don't have what it takes to do it. I will never, you know, when people shoot at me, I run the the opposite way so so for us i think to yeah, to, yeah, to, right. to serve these people and to have these people thank us is life-changing I, I don't get to interview that many people nowadays because in my ceo job you know I, I by the time they get to me they're they're already higher or, or i'm you know interviewing high levels vps uh but when i do and when i used to i mean these guys uh, probably heard it from me when i interview them it's like hey you know this is not for everybody here you know we we're different I'm not saying that we're better or worse. It's, it's you know, we work hard, uh, we push it. Uh, so if you're kind of looking for a job to cruise around, this is the wrong place. That th this is not this is not the right place for you. But there is one good thing. The good thing is at one point or another, and I don't know when it's going to happen to you. It could happen the first month. It could happen two years later. You're going to realize there's something greater than yourself something greater than the company that you're serving here. And and I, I don't know if everybody does, but I would say most people at one point go through that journey and the aha moment comes and it's, and it's like, wow, this this is different. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I it's, uh, you know, I, I think about that, you know, the guy who uh, was in an IED or, or injured and how when you look at those kind of jobs, you're, you're depending on what you wear and your kit and your equipment to save your life. I mean, potentially all the things, even even for, for footwear, mm. I mean, all those things make a profound difference in the success or failure of specific missions and every single day life. 
And it's an important uh, job and it's an important mission set. And I think a lot of people don't understand in, in business, it has to be purpose-driven. If it's not, if, it's your, if you're just chasing the dollar, you're going to fail. And when you do fail, or even if you're successful, there will be a failure there. Maybe it's a personal, ethical dilemma, whatever it may be. When you stand behind something and it's because of a purpose, it's because you're doing something uh, for the bigger good, um, that means something. And, and I think it's, it's relevant um, and, and it's, it's obvious uh, that 511, uh, you guys are taking that role. I mean, from the, the first interaction I had with marketing all the way to, to hearing you guys speak about the company, I get the same impression from everybody that I talk to. And um, in a space that's very toxic and I've seen the toxicity, um, that is a uh, breath of fresh air. And I appreciate uh, you guys uh, coming on the podcast and talking about your experiences. So thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank you for being here, visiting with us, uh, and taking the time to listen to the 511 story. No, I appreciate it, guys. Um, hey, hey, guys, if, uh, um, if you guys are listening to this podcast, this is going to be live, and uh, make sure you tune in. We're going to be doing different things. Uh, hopefully in the future with 511. And um, if you guys are listening now, I'm going to give a coupon code. You guys get to see it in the notes for anybody who's trying to save. I always go after uh, the 10% discount codes for my for our customers. <laughs> um, and uh, 511 has obliged. So if you guys want to check the notes, check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in the podcast. Thanks, guys. 511, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. So much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.